0: everyone and welcome back at the macro trading floor. Each and every week we provide you with the most actionable macro content out there. My name is Andreas Dino, And I'm
1: Alfonso Peccatiello. It's June the 10th, 2022, Andreas. And last week, holy crap, what a week has been. We have had massive news from Europe, from the US. Let's start from Europe. There has been an ECB meeting And uh, we have heard that the ECB now all of a sudden is starting to talk about hikes. And we have heard from Madame Lagarde that uh, there's going to be no fragmentation. It's going to be all fine and all dandy. The market strongly disagrees with that so far. So I want to get your uh, quick take on the
0: ECB meeting first. (laughs) I think roughly seven years back, I made a bet with a Danish pension fund on whether the ECB would hike interest rates or I would become a father first. I became a father three months back, so I'm perfectly fine with them hiking interest rates now because I won that bet. <laughs> but um, to take the serious side of this, um, I think the press release was a bit of a mess, but it had very, very firm language at the very beginning, which is probably what you should note, Um, they wrote initially that the only aim now, and that is essentially the only aim, I want to put emphasis on that, is to bring inflation back to target. I haven't heard the ECB talk like that before in my adulthood. Um, I didn't watch the ECB when Trichet was uh, the chairman back in 2011. Um, But this is very serious rhetoric. So they, they mean business now. Uh, so you should expect them to hike interest rates. I have to throw in my towel on, 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 on uh, my thinking that they wouldn't hike interest rates, uh, admittedly. Uh, so um, that's, that's what you should know. The second thing you should n- uh, know about what the ECB communicated is that they still have a loophole. And that loophole is uh, linked to Italian sovereign debt or maybe rather Hellenic sovereign debt because they actually mentioned Greece explicitly uh, in the press release and they also explicitly uh, tell markets that if things turn sour enough then they might decide to step in with QE to prevent uh, bond spreads from going too much bananas basically. So what do you make of the loophole option and the rate uh, hiking path ahead?
1: Oh, so let's say I'm short BTP and long boons, and everybody knows that. And I am happy that the market is unimpressed with uh, the ECB verbal commitment to stop fragmentation. Uh, We have had, let me check on my volatility adjusted market dashboard here. I'm seeing BTP boons 14 basis points wider over the week, Andreas. So let's summarize what the market thinks of that. BTP boons are 14 basis points wider high yield European spreads are fifty basis point wider five zero on the mm. week. The European curve between two year and ten year is ten basis point flatter between five year and thirty year is sixteen basis point flatter and so and the euro is down two percent against the dollar yeah. this week so if, and and, and by, by the way I forgot to say the European banks are down seven percent mm. over the week, so you basically got all the possible contrarian reaction from markets compared to what the ECB wanted, because they told us they can hike rates, the economy is strong, the labor market is very mm. tight, and it can take it. And instead, the yield curve has been flattening. They told us that they're going to avoid fragmentation and spreads are blowing up. They told us that, you know, they're committed in bringing inflation down, which should be quite a hawkish signal, should support the euro, c'eteris paribus, mm. But it's not, because the euro is down 2%. So what I'm getting from markets Andreas is a Big, fat middle finger to the ECB meeting, if you ask me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I mean, isn't that typical, the ECB? Uh, at least since Draghi left, uh, I want to to, um, to give some praise to your countryman, fellow countryman, Mario Draghi, but he, he was a master at guiding markets in the direction he wanted them to, uh, while Lagarde is terrible at that exercise. Um I'm not saying that she's not clever. Uh, she obviously is, but she's not used to guiding markets. And that's very clear from the communication again now that um, markets don't know when to expect the European Central Bank to step in to um, to guide markets on, on, uh, on bond spreads. Uh, I, no, I don't have a clue either. Uh, I mean, is it at uh, 100 basis points wider spreads uh, between Italian and German bonds compared to today? No one knows. Um, it's essentially just uh, a weak promise to step in at some point if things turn really sour. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is that the ECB has no guidance whatsoever on where to expect the terminal rate uh, to be in the Euro Curve. So we also uh, we are basically stuck in a guessing game. Also on that front, uh, we don't know whether the uh, European Central Bank intends to go to say two percent, three percent, on nominal interest rates given uh, their inflation target. Um, I mean, we have some evidence from their academic research, but it's something that you really need to be on the look for to find. So I don't think it's crystal clear what they actually mean, uh, even though they have a very strong rhetorical commitment to fight inflation. Uh, So I'm perfectly in the camp uh, of selling Eurodollar on this message because either they will have to step in to do something about the situation in Italian bonds, that's euro negative because they will have to create new euros to do that, or else they will allow Italian bonds to sell off. And that's not a pleasant scenario for the eurozone either. Uh, So thankfully, finally, this works for my long dollar position against the euro.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, the inverse Steno ETF is not going up anymore because <laughs> finally Mr. Steno is being right about the euro dollar. Now, I'm, I'm just on a broader scale now, but Nick Divanovich last week went short shots. What a trade <laughs> on a weekly basis, at least has been massive. I'm short BTP boons and the rest is long the dollar. Hey, guys, euro dollar. I mean, uh, sorry, long the dollar against the euro. So, hey, guys, finally, we start even making some decent uh calls from time to time, by mistake almost. Uh, But Andreas, let's move across the pond now because uh, the other news of the day, I should say, we're recording on the 10th of June, is the US inflation figure. And the US inflation figure is surprised to the upside once again. So what's your take there and the market reaction?
0: I think there are three uh, components um, to watch in this uh, CPI index in the U.S. Now, first, energy. Uh, It's a price to the upside again uh, as a consequence of rising gasoline prices. It always puzzles me why economists cannot calculate the month over month impact from gasoline prices. It's very straightforward. uh, And I also said that yesterday at uh, the Real Vision briefing that it will surprise to the upside because they haven't accounted for the um, last move in, in, in gasoline prices. Uh, but on the other hand, there were also a few unpleasant surprises, I'd say, in core terms, uh, because core services look very sticky. Uh, they even surprised the tad to the upside. Uh, and then you also have the so-called shelter component, uh, so the housing costs um, rising again, um, and, and it looks destined to, to peak at at least six percent, if you ask me. So above where where we are uh, at right now. Um, so this is a report that the Fed will have to to react to um, by being more hawkish than they already are. Simple as that.
1: And so, mate, uh, looking at the dashboard as well in front of me, I see that the uh, US rates have also moved by more than three standard deviation this week. The front end has moved. Aggressively, mm. the curve has flattened again. Five in treasuries have inverted again. They have been inverted in OIS for three months, four months in a row now. But now even the treasury five curve has inverted again. And I see markets trying to push the Federal Reserve action front-loaded, so being being stronger in terms of terminal rate, they will be able to reach to reach mm. and front-load the action as well. So what we're getting right now is a June 2023 terminal rate at three and a half percent. She's is about 100 basis point above estimates of neutral. That's a relatively tight stance. And on top of that, we're seeing a more inverted curve down the road. So the June 20, 2023, June 2024 euro dollar curve points to cuts, significant cuts from the Federal Reserve. So the demand destruction is being pulled forward as well. We're having a sharper reaction and a faster uh, reaction uh, being priced in by the Federal Reserve, but also a demand destruction to come earlier. Um, Do you have a particular take on demand destruction? Because I know you have been uh, very vocal in trying to anticipate when the bond
0: market will finally recognize that that is about to come. Well, I still believe that it will happen during the second half of this year. Um, But I wanted also to give a big virtual high five to Nick Giovanovich for his trade last week because I was pretty vocal that I disliked that trade of being short uh, bonds in the very front end of the European curve. Uh, because, well, I, I still struggle to imagine that the European Central Bank can actually get to the levels that are priced in. I also kind of uh, struggle to imagine it for for the uh, Federal Reserve. But that's not necessarily the same uh, as concluding that the market cannot chase that story short term. Um, so a big high five to Nick Giovanovich. And it was actually my fun take of the week because um, even though Nick is a Uh, It's a a fairly old man. Uh, Sorry, Nick. Um, He's been chasing me like crazy on Twitter all week (laughs) saying that he was right on the trade and I was not. So thanks for that, Nick. You kept me busy in there uh, throughout the week. Hey, Andreas, but the macro
1: trading floor is also banter fun and yes. uh, people chasing yes. each other. So this this time is after you. You can be after him or anybody else after <laughs> me if you want next time. We are here. We are human. We'll be making wrong calls the whole time. Uh, it's the macro analysis that counts, guys. Set yeah. the guy with the losing trade the whole time. I would say it's about time to stop the banter between the two of us and uh, Colin, the guest of the week, uh, who is a very smart, well-known macro-strategist and
0: it's about time we introduce him. It is now a great pleasure to uh, introduce this week's guest. Um, He's the founder and editor of the Felder Investment Research. Uh, A great pleasure to welcome you, Jesse Felder.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
0: Uh, you're the writer of the Felder report, um, and I've noticed that uh, you've basically uh, have an opinion on inflation, as everyone does at the moment. Uh, so let's start with the million-dollar question: At the moment, is inflation here to stay or not? What's your take on that, uh, Jesse? I,
2: I do believe so. I mean, I, I'm a. Uh, I think there are obviously cyclical forces of inflation at work right now, but there's also. Longer term secular forces that I think don 't probably get enough attention, um, but I mean I think it 's very clear to everybody today 's you know cpi day and it's it 's obvious that uh, you know I think a lot of people thought maybe inflation peaked in March you know that 's not the case that uh, you know median inflation and and things like that are showing that we're we 're potentially still accelerating in terms of the inflationary dynamics, and so it 's very clear I think to everybody that inflation was not transitory uh we, we printed far too much money put it in people's hands and they're spending it or, or they uh, to a great extent paid down credit cards and things and now we're seeing that credit card spending uh, pick back up and in, 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 in allowing for uh, i think this demand driven inflation uh, in, in addition to the the things that are much more widely discussed uh, the supply chain issues and those types of things
1: yeah jesse so um, we have just had the U.S. inflation print. We're recording on uh, June the tenth, uh, so the the May inflation report from the U.S. is just out. It showed that month-on-month core inflation printed at point sixty-three percent, much higher than expectations as well. Um, it also shows a broadening of price pressures. So shall we shall we try and and uh, dig deep a little bit into what are the components causing inflation and what's making you think? that disinflation is here to stay, actually.
2: I am a big fan of uh, um, Charles Goodhart's n- new book um, that came about maybe a year ago, um, The Great uh, Demographic Reversal, where they do a deep dive on these secular forces of inflation. And I do think you know they make the point in this book that um, the disinflationary trends of the past 30, 40 years have maybe made the central banks believe that they have greater power over inflation and that they're responsible for the disinflation more than they really have been i think you know uh, trends like demographics and globalization are probably more to uh, more responsible than monetary policy you know for for creating disinflation for a period of time i think those things have been in the process of shifting for 10-15 years now but the effects, the disinflationary effects of the financial crisis uh, and the, the Great uh, Recession, um, I, I think kind of hid those for a period of time. And, and I, I would just point to, um, uh, you know, labor, labor trends. Right. We saw I think there were a lot of people uh, who plan to retire, a lot of baby boomers plan to retire. 10, 15 years ago, the financial crisis made it so that they couldn't. They stayed in the labor force longer than they otherwise intended because they had to. They had, you know, their their retirement portfolios were were destroyed. So when, you know, we get the, the pandemic and uh, the, the Fed steps in, prints money, and the asset markets, you know, literally go to the moon, uh, a lot of these people realize, wait a second, okay, I've stayed in the labor force 10 years longer than I intended, um, and now my retirement portfolio has not only made everything back from the great financial, it's double, tripled, quadrupled from there. So now I can finally afford to retire. And you have this, the, the great resignation, right, which is the, the opposite of this dynamic. So I, I think, you know, the, there were cyclical forces that kind of hid maybe the secular forces of inflation for over the last 10 plus years. Now those are reversing and exacerbating this shift in inflation. And so, yeah, there, I mean, I think everybody is is now appreciating the cyclical forces that we printed a ton of money, we created too much demand. At the same time, you have all these supply side constraints that are creating inflation on a short term basis, but the longer term trends to me are, are more important to pay attention to. And I think that's the discussion that that really is worth having is, you know, we, yeah, we may see a peak in inflation, but how far is it going to come back? Is it going to come back below the Fed's 2% level? Or is it going to be more like, I think, the 74-75 experience where inflation, you know, Fed lowered rates in the 74 recession from 10 to 5%. Inflation came down to 5 for for a couple of years and then went on to make new highs uh, because the the policy gap remained so wide during that period of time. And I think we're kind of probably in that stage now where we could see a cyclical peak in inflation. I don't think it's going to go back below the Fed's target. I think probably uh we're in a a new inflationary phase uh where the next, you know, 10 years we're bringing, we could we could potentially see a short-term peak but that, you know, potentially higher peaks uh in the years to come.
0: I made a very simple chart the other day uh, showing the relationship between wage growth in the US and the federal fund rates. Uh, And (coughs) the very simple uh, relationship between the two actually puts the Fed funds rate at 8% now. Uh, so the, the last time we had wage growth comparable to today, we had Fed funds at at 8%. Uh, so it goes to show what's happening in, in, in labor markets right now, at least from a cyclical perspective. I, I wanted to pick your brain also, Jesse, on, on the response that we will get from the Federal Reserve to, to, to this inflationary pressure, uh, because eventually inflation didn't peak, at least in headline terms, in March. So do you think the Fed will have to do more than what is already anticipated by market participants to to um, to fight inflation, basically.
2: I I think yeah, you make a great point, right? Uh, you know, the idea that a three percent terminal Fed funds rate is a restrictive rate, for policy rate. I think you can only make that case in the context of the last ten years. If you look and you know beyond the last ten years. A three percent terminal rate, or whatever the markets are, you know, pricing in today, uh, when inflation is is running, you know, nearly triple that uh, rate, uh, is in the context of history, it's still very very accommodative. So, I think that in order to rein in inflation and these inflationary dynamics we're talking about, the Fed would have to go do a lot more. And I, I think you see a lot of these former Federal Reserve officials coming out. Um, lately and saying, yeah, they, they they probably will need to go to five, six percent, you know, if they want to really rein in the inflationary psychology that's building uh, in the economy right now. So but the question is whether they will be able to do that or not. And I, I just don't think they will. I think there's a good chance we're probably headed for recession. I mean, that, that seems like that's becoming more obvious every day if we're not already in recession and that will, you know, allow the Fed to, you know, there have been hints that maybe they, they pause in September, um, you know. And so pausing after, you know, 150 basis points of further hikes within, you know, a, a Fed funds rate that's still deeply negative in real terms. Um, yeah, the, it's pretty obvious to me that they're not willing to to crash the economy, crash the markets in the, you know, service of reigning in inflation.
1: So, Jesse, um if you think that inflation is here, let's say, to stay and it's a more structural than it has been over the last 20 years in this inflationary trend. But then you're also expecting terminal Fed funds rate at 3% not to be enough to slow this down. Then what do you think the Fed will ultimately have to do and how will they be able to jiggle the two balls of Financial conditions, which you know, are, are becoming tighter, the stock market is going down, credit spreads are becoming wider, the dollar is going up. Um, how can they make sure that the 401ks, basically, of all the um, potential people that are about to retire, stay where they are and at the same time bring down inflation? Can they achieve that?
2: I mean, I, I think that's yeah, that's uh, the impossible dream that they have right now, right? I, I, you can't protect the markets and rein in inflation. And my friend Bill Fleckenstein has been saying for years, at some point, the bond market's going to take the printing press away from the Fed. And and uh, I don't know if it's the bond market uh, or if it's just inflation is going to take the, the printing press away. Uh, but, you know, we, we're potentially a long way from that point. I think the Fed You know, is still they say. You know, generals always fight the last war, and the Fed understands the the risk of uh, you know a deflationary depression as the result of an asset price bust, and so to to them that's the most important thing to protect against, Uh, and they would rather let inflation go than uh, than than crash the markets. I think Uh, you know so,
0: uh,
2: and that's been obvious for for a long time. So, uh, I mean, if it. If it were true that the Fed was really prioritizing inflation we wouldn 't have such a deeply negative fed funds they wouldn't have waited so long to normalize monetary policy they would have they would have uh, you know been begun to normalize a year ago um, and and immediately ended uh, the the asset you know the uh, asset purchases so um, i you know i i think it's it 's clear that they they are you know while the fed put might have been repriced at a lower level it 's still there they 're going to try they have to try and and prevent uh, a crash but at the same time i mean it 's a, a terrific dilemma they have to tighten financial conditions to a level that indicates that they're they're doing something um, and that requires further decline in stock prices, further widening in spreads. Uh, and so they're they're walking a very a very uh, fine line right here.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that assessment, uh, Jesse. Uh, I wanted to add a bit of political flavor to this discussion because I, I watched Joe Biden on, I think it was the Jimmy Kimmel show the other day, uh, and he basically spent the inter- entire entire airtime talking about gasoline prices and inflation. Usually a president would want to be a bit funny on such a show, but he basically spent his entire time on talking about gasoline prices. Do you think that the political pressure could turn... Against the Fed, making them change their stance on 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 inflation.
2: Uh, well, I I, mean, I think there's already a lot of pressure on the Fed to do something. Um, hmm. You know, Joe Biden also published that editorial in the Wall Street Journal where he basically said, "Yes, inflation is a problem. We're dealing with it, but it's really the Fed's job, <laughs> right? It's really Jay Powell. This is on you." Uh, and hmm. you know, but it, by the same token, as you know, the the, the point you make off that. Uh, the Fed can't afford to, you know, bankrupt pensions and, and these types of things also. Um, and so they're trying to, you know, to balance these things. Uh, and, and I think they're probably going to fail at both. They're not going to be able to prop up asset markets and they're not going to rein in inflation. And so what does that world look like? I think that's what investors have to to ask themselves.
1: And uh, Jesse, I mean, how this world looks like is a pretty complicated puzzle, if you ask me where at this point, uh, when policymakers face the, let's say, the situation where inflation expectations also are at risk of becoming the anchor. Today, we got the University of Michigan uh, report, which shows that consumer confidence is at the lows of 85 years. I had to check twice to make sure that I read the right number there. And also that five to 10 year inflation expectations from consumers are now at 3.3%. So we're talking about long term inflation expectations they're at 3.3%, which is the highest reading since 2008. And so at that point, if you're a policymaker, I guess that you are more incentivized to actually tighten up seriously, Jesse, because inflation expectations are becoming slightly unanchored from a consumer perspective too. So where do you think ultimately the consumer will land on inflation expectation? Will it adjust to a higher plateau? And will this encourage the, the Federal Reserve to seriously then act and assign a a higher way to that part of their, of their objective?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, the, the problem that I have is <clears throat> what, would it, what would it look like to seriously act, right? The Taylor rule says Fed funds should be 10% today. So that's what seriously acting looks like, is a 10% Fed funds rate. What are the odds the Fed is going to go to 10% anytime soon? I think they're next to zero, right? There's, there's almost nothing... That would get the Fed to raise rates to ten percent in the next twelve to twenty-four months. They're just not going to do it because what would that look like? That would, you know, it would crash the economy and crash the stock market, right? I mean, so it, it's obvious to me that that uh, Jay Powell is not the second coming of Paul Volcker, no matter how much he, you know, says he admires Volcker and, and these types of things. They're not really willing to create uh, a restrict. I mean, a real, a real Fed funds rate. I think you know um, Dudley has said. That uh, you, you have to go, you know, 100 basis points, uh, you know, in real terms on the Fed funds rate in order to be restrictive, right? So whatever that is, let's just assume you you believe inflation's, you know, four or five percent over the, you know, going to average over the next 12. I mean, it's going to come down to get there. The Fed funds needs, still needs to be six, seven percent, something like that. So I, you know, that's what I think truly restrictive policy looks like. And I don't think there's any way the Fed's going to go there, especially because, you, like you mentioned, the University of Michigan report, you have 100% of CFOs in the CNBC's uh, you know latest poll say, inflate, uh, recession's happening in the next 12 months. There's not one CFO who said we will, we're going to avoid recession. You have uh, the worst uh, consumer sentiment on record. Uh, you have... Um, you know i think it's I, I can't remember the name of the app but in silicon valley uh, employees are talking about um, layoffs and recession uh the amount of times they're mentioning these things is up 50 fold the beige book shows the a record um, a number of mentions of the word recession so i you know there's so many things pointing to recession the fed's not going to because they waited so long they now uh, you know are facing uh, potentially tightening dramatically into a recession, and at some point, the the, the weakening economy is going to force them to to pause, uh, and that they're going to have to pause at a at a uh, at a level uh, that is still a very accommodative level, and and so I think that yeah, to me it's it's pretty obvious where they find themselves.
0: I told you before we went on air, uh, Jesse, that uh, it seems as if every other week, currently, we have uh, a guest telling us that this is the biggest false flag on inflation ever. Uh, and then the other week, we have someone claiming that this is a regime shift for inflation expectations and inflation levels um, How does that make you think about asset allocation into this extreme outcome space of both people calling for 10% inflation and people calling for deflation over the next couple of years? How would you position yourselves uh, on a top-down scale into this?
2: Dan Loeb wrote about it uh, in his his latest, uh, I think, first quarter report where he said, you know, the biggest mistakes he's seen investors make is when you do see a, a paradigm shift in markets and people are slow to To recognize it, they're still operating under the old playbook when that playbook doesn't work anymore, and now you need you need a new playbook for the new environment. I think that's where we're at. I think you know the the disinflationary environment where the Fed has been able to um, come to the markets rescue and pursue you know some of the most uh, aggressive experimental policies in history is is at an end. Um, I, I do think you know that. The old playbook doesn't work anymore we have seen a paradigm shift in the underlying dynamics uh, of the economy and so uh, what what does that mean that means um recency bias is extremely dangerous if you look back and say okay well this is what worked for the last five or ten years it'll probably work over the next five you're going gonna make you know major mistakes um, in in your allocations portfolio decisions those types of things I think you got to look back at uh, what do other Inflationary environments look like, um, and uh, it's astounding to me that, in light of what inflation's doing, we still have equity valuations that are very near all-time you know record highs. We look at price to sales, uh, market cap to GDP, these types of things, and um, commodity prices are still so cheap relative to financial assets, that that just tells me there's still massive opportunity in 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 the markets. Uh, if uh, this is truly a regime change.
1: So Jesse, if I think of what you just um, outlined as your macro big picture here, we're talking about a more stubborn inflation that markets are pricing in. And I want to remind the audience that if you look at inflation forward swaps or any other measure of what the market is pricing in, there is a pretty clear downward slope being priced in in markets. So we markets are sort of, assuming inflation will come back towards two, two and a half percent pretty rapidly. And Jesse seems to not agree with that stance. But at the same time, Jesse, you're telling us that you don't believe that the Federal Reserve or other central banks will be Volcker-like or not nearly Volcker-like as they had to be last time the inflation was stubborn because of basically preserving financial conditions to a decent extent. Um, so if I look at that macro big picture, and I hope I've summarized it correctly, uh how do we make this actionable for the macro trading floor listeners?
2: Well, I, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't consider myself a macro expert in any, in any respect. Uh, I'm a trader and I think it's mm-hmm. important to recognize that uh, when you have a macro thesis, putting on the trade uh, is a whole separate process of that. And and so uh, I, but I, w- I would just point, I, I feel like I have greater expertise in the equity markets than I do in terms of trading macro and these types of things. And just the, 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 uh, that's where I would point out, I think there is a huge disparity between what I think is going to happen over the next 12 months and what's priced into the equity markets. Right now, analysts are expecting um, earnings to, uh, to, to grow this year and profit margins to reach record highs um that's what's priced in to the market and so people are looking at price to earnings ratios and saying you know stocks aren't that expensive right now but that but that incl- you know those are forward pe ratios that are pricing in rapidly growing earnings a return to you know earnings growth and record profit margins and when you look at what does inflation do to profit margins inflation is dr- very very damaging right? you, you look at just what small businesses are telling us right now, they're telling us we're seeing pressure on the top line, right? Consumers are saying uh, demand is waning, that they can't afford to potentially spend as, as, you know, as, as, as much as they are, especially on discretionary items. At the same time, small business costs are rising rapidly. Uh, and so that's a very clear warning. Profit margins are, are headed for uh, – and, and you hear it you know, from Target, Walmart. Um, All these companies that have been pre-announcing, I mean, Microsoft is pre-announcing, you know, talking about, uh, uh, you know, the dollar. Um, And when you look at, you know, this is something that Stan Druckenmiller talked about a few years ago when he was talking about his challenges in trading the, the 2000 peak in the stock market. He had to take a break from trading because he he tried to short you know, Nasdaq, whatever didn't work. He went long right at the top, and that didn't work. And okay, I can't I can't do anything right. So step away, come back a few months later, realize dollar interest rates, oil prices are all have all been rising dramatically. That almost always leads to an earnings recession, twelve to twenty four hmm. months out. So he said, "This was September of two thousand. I'm going to come back. I'm going to I'm going to start." Trying to short stocks again because I think earnings are going to decline. Well, I think we're in a very similar similar situation right now. Dollars been very strong, interest rates have been very strong, oil prices, all very strong. That to me tells me that we're probably headed for a pretty deep earnings recession over the next uh you know 12 to 18 months. That's not priced into the equity market, and I think that that's that's a major problem for investors.
0: I would tend to agree with that assessment, Jesse, and uh, I'm usually a very simple man when I look at earning, earnings expectations and how to assess whether they're real, realistic or not. Uh, if you look at the demand side, uh, all forward-looking indicators for PMIs, they point south, and if you look at the cost side, um, they're basically pointing up. If you have a demand side slowing and a cost side increasing, well, margins will have to go down and um so will uh, earnings expectations also slowly but surely into this scenario. So I perfectly agree on that. I want to ultimately pick your brain on how to position very explicitly into this scenario. You mentioned that the Federal Reserve will lack the balls in, better, in, the, in the lack of better words from my side uh, to really do something about inflation. They will try, uh, but they will never bring interest rates high enough to, to actually counter the inflation levels. That means that we will continue to see negative inflation-adjusted interest rates. So, how do you play that if you want to to buy something that works Wait, into such I, a I
2: almost feel like an idiot. Uh, it, to, to me, the trade seems you know so obvious that uh, you got to buy precious metals. Um, that uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to refer back to Stan Druckenmiller again. He talked about in the lead up to the financial crisis. What was he talking about with his team? I think this is the you know speech he gave five six years ago. Where he said. Uh, and this is this is kind of a, a process we can all go through, I think, to try and eliminate recency bias. He said, uh, in two thousand three four, he asked his team, uh, "Pretend you just came down from Mars, right? Here is what nominal GDP is doing. Here is what retail sales are doing. Here is what um, you know headline uh, inflation is doing. Where do you think the Fed funds rate is?" Right. And I think all those numbers were, you know, five, six percent, something like that. And Fed funds was still at one. And so they knew from that that there was going to be a problem, that the Fed was blowing uh, the real estate bubble. And and they knew this was going to be a problem several years from now. So you do the same thing today. Nominal GDP growing 10, 12 percent. Right. Retail sales the same. You have headline CPI eight and a half percent. Where's the Fed funds rate? Right. If you came down from Mars, where would you guess Fed funds <laughs> is, you guess it's 8%, 10%, something like that, right? So the fact that it's at, you know, less than one, and the Fed has been printing $120 billion a month for the past months until very, very recently, uh, if you came down from Mars, you'd think, oh, my God, okay, there's there's going to be a huge inflation problem, right? Because the Fed is so far behind the curve, as Larry Summers and company pointed out this week. Uh, when you adjust the inflation numbers over time, the policy gap has never been as large as it is today. So, what do you? How do you? What do you do in that environment when the Fed is is, is literally cre- having you know cre- positioned monetary policy in the most accommodative way at the same time inflation is 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 taking off? You have to protect yourself uh, by buying inflation, some type of inflation protection. Precious metals are the most obvious, uh, I think, way to do that. With where not uh real interest rates are, the gold price should be you know three four five thousand dollars an ounce, I think already um, the only reason it 's not is because investors are operating under this recency bias that you know believing that inflation's going to come down on its own or if not, the fed's going to bring it down, and uh, what 's worked over the last five, ten years is going to continue to work but I, I i we've already talked about that, so i don 't think that that, uh, but, but it's that recency bias that I think is is what's holding investors back from adopting uh, precious metals in a big way.
1: And Jesse, as uh, we all know, uh, a trade can always go wrong. And I, I've done plenty of wrong trades in my career. So we always ask the people on the macro trading floor to also uh, discuss with us what could make your trade go wrong. What is the downside to your trade?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is where... You know, the the, uh, the difference between putting on a trade and, you know, the macro thesis uh, is, is really paramount. Um, obviously, where it could go wrong is if inflation does kind of just start to go away on its own. I mean, if we do go into recession, recession, we're already in recession, and uh, the disinflationary effects of that recession bring inflation down in a big way, and the Fed doesn't have to do more, obviously, that would not be, uh, you know, um, that would be you know i I'd, I'd be absolutely wrong in, in my macro thesis and that would have uh you know result in in price i think also if the fed were to truly get uh aggressive if they were to really take interest rates to a uh, uh restrictive level that would obviously be bearish for precious metals also
0: tizi i wanted to ask you um initially uh, sorry ultimately here is there any Concrete um, instrument that you would like to reflect this trade via or um, how do you think about that?
2: Yeah, the uh, Sprott physical gold and silver um, trust is a a closed end fund used to be called the Central Fund of Canada. And um, it, it trades, obviously, because it's a closed-end fund, it can trade at a discount or a premium to its net asset value. Today, it trades at like a 4% discount to the gold and silver they have in storage. So that's the only way I know of, of being able to go buy precious metals at a discount to market prices. To me, that's also a terrific sentiment signal that, you know, back in 2010-11, uh, when precious metals prices were peaking, this fund traded at 10% premium to net asset value. So. Uh, I don't think the bull market in precious metals is going to be over until we start seeing those types of premiums. Again, it's a sign to me that investors just have no interest. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a benefit to those of us who do.
1: The last part of the interview is to give you the opportunity to tell our audience where they, where they can find more about you. This interview has been very insightful, so they'll, they'll be asking themselves, please give them an answer.
2: Well, like you guys, I'm a Twitter addict and I spend a lot of time on on Twitter just kind of sharing, you know, stuff that I'm reading or uh, charts and whatnot. Uh, I really don't find Twitter a very good place to get into these types of discussions. So I'm thankful for the uh, opportunity to be able to do this because Twitter is not the place for it (laughs) in my view. But it's just at Jesse Felder on Twitter. And then I I try and put up a blog or a podcast or something on my site, thefelderreport.com. Well,
1: Jesse... Thank you for uh, being here with us. Thanks for uh, for the macro view on the trade. And uh, we hope to have you back soon on the macro trading floor.
2: Thanks. Have a good time, guys. Thank you.
1: So the listeners to the macro trading floor podcast this week received the trade idea from Jesse Felder. It's June the 10th, 2022. Jesse came to the show and said it's time to buy precious metals. And then he went more concrete and said that his preferred instrument is the Sprot physical gold and silver fund, uh, which you can buy. Uh, Andreas and I have, um, when well, last time Sten Jakobsen was on the show suggesting a similar trade to go long gold, have also highlighted there are plenty more uh, ETFs um, that actually replicate a gold position. For example, FAO, PHAU ETF is one of those. Um, This is the trade of the week, guys. So I'll have to ask Andreas, as always, if he buys or sells the trade or does nothing with it. But anyway, what's his take on the trade?
0: I probably feel slightly better around the trade from a tactical perspective that I've I've done over the course of the spring here uh, because uh, I've rather felt inclined to uh, take a bit off my gold position compared to adding to it. Uh, I have... a, a. around 5%-ish of my portfolio in in um, precious metal EDFs. And the um, reason why I, I'm still uh, a bit in doubt on whether to add to it or not is that I find it very tricky to figure out whether the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank and other big central banks will actually follow um, the inflation pressures that we see um, and, and deliver the rate hikes that are needed. I think Jesse might be onto something. At least that's it's a fair scenario. Um, it could happen. Uh, and I don't consider it a very low probability scenario. Uh, so I think the focal point here is now how the Fed reacts to this inflation report we've gotten today. Because if they don't step up the game next week, then I think gold will be in for a rally on that. Um, mm-hmm. So... I'm tempted, but I'm not fully convinced. I think that's the main message from my side today. I have a position on already.
1: Mm -hmm. So, mate, from my perspective, gold is uh, very interesting because given the repricing we have had in in real yields and the reasons behind the repricing, we should have had a big dump in gold, to be honest, uh, from any statistical relationship we try to apply from the past. And we haven't seen that. Now, from this perspective onwards, uh, what should happen for gold to perform uh, or actually for gold to sell off is that real rates should go even higher. For real rates to go even higher from here, you need a monetary policy stance priced in to be extremely much more tight than it's already priced in to be at the moment. And so I don't know exactly if the risk reward of shorting gold here looks good, because if gold would have moved because of a tighter monetary policy stance, we should have seen the move already, and the move hasn't been there. And so, in that case, it makes me always very hesitant when my narrative is not supported by price action for too long. It makes me very hesitant to try and reiterate the same trade, and that's the reason why I'm not, you know, shorting gold here. Uh, for buying gold, you need to have a view that inflation expectations are going to you know, remain pretty well anchored, that maybe central banks are going to give in to the demand destruction side, that they're going to slow their tightening um, appetite, let's say. I don't have a big visibility on that yet, so I'm, I'm just going to stay out. But we should discuss the central bank reaction function here, as you just said. So we have this thing in, in macroeconomics where we try and estimate what the neutral policy rate would be. Uh, given you know the structural dri- uh, drivers of the economy, and then if uh, the central bank needs to stimulate aggregate demand and uh, inflation expectation, they would ease. So the monetary policy stance would be below neutral. Otherwise, they would tighten. And there's of course different degrees of tighter and, and easier monetary policy. And this is the moment to tighten up monetary policy, which means that the market has to price a tighter stance compared to neutral. And in America, they told us neutral is two and a half percent. So then we can sort of maneuver around that when it comes to understanding what the market is pricing in. But in Europe, nobody told us what neutral is. That opens quite uh, quite a spectrum of, of options out there. What's uh, Tell me what you think.
0: Well, I'm basically waiting for next Wednesday. Uh, so by the timing of, of next week's podcast, I think we will be a lot wiser on what the Fed will have to do. Um, to um, to ensure that inflation is being combated in the right way, um, if we look at expectations for next week and expectations for the meeting in um, in the month after that for the Federal Reserve, then I actually s- slowly but surely see an implied probability of 75 basis points hikes being priced into the market. Uh, at least the risk is, is, uh, is not zero uh, for such a move. Uh, and of course, if the Fed decided to go ahead and deliver 75 basis points next week, Uh, then it would be a very firm signal to the market. And I can assure you that gold positions will take a beating on such a move from the Federal Reserve. Uh, But I'm still tempted to say that they will deliver 50 basis points um, and therefore leaning slightly in the direction that gold can actually rally here. But I think it's a coin toss. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, And it's not a position that I really want to have a a high conviction on. I have a high conviction on the dollar versus the euro. Uh, That's one thing. Um, and then I have a high conviction on equities going down on an index level. Uh, and, I mean, usually dollar up, index levels down for equities. It's not really a thumbs up to buy gold, right? Yeah, that's true.
1: So let's have let's have a recap of the recent positions that, that have been discussed here on the macro trading floor. So we have had an episode where you and I have blubbered for a bit, come up with trade ideas, which just because we are lucky are both in the money. Um, short BTP, long bonds, and long the dollar against the euro. Those were the positions we discussed. And as we stand here, I am extremely comfortable in keeping my position. I'm just going to move my profit targets higher and my my, uh, trailing stops uh, higher as well. Because BTPs are the release valve and the real test the market's going to be throwing at the ECB here. They're going to be testing them until and if there is really a bid out there. Because if you're a market maker now, you're looking for a bid on BTPs. And if there is no bid on BTPs, but just a couple of words, loose words, without even a timeline and, and, a, and a quantifiable package behind Andreas, I have a hard time believing that, you know, credit spreads can tighten and Italy can outperform Germany. So I'm uh, sitting very comfortable on that. And Lagarde did their best to help me with the trade. Thank you, Madame. Merci beaucoup. Uh, what's your take on on your euro-dollar position?
0: Well, I like it still, um, and I still uh, own it. Um, and I mean, in in essence, it is essentially the same bet as yours, to a certain extent. Um, and it's probably a bit easier to implement uh, as a retail investor. Um, I am long the ETF called UUP, um, a, a very decent uh, position, uh, if you believe um, in our storyline, that the Federal Reserve will be more aggressive than the European Central Bank, but also if you believe the storyline that the growth cycle is turning rapidly negative right now uh, and the corresponding dollar liquidity cycle is turning rapidly negative now. Um, Remember, guys, uh, and I want you to remember this, it is actually next week that we get the so-called QT process starting. The reverse money printing is now here, um, and uh, you cannot say that about the European Central Bank yet, uh, so it essentially means that the Fed removes dollars from the financial market while the European Central Bank is more neutral right now, um, it may change later this year, but from a relative liquidity perspective, I still like the dollar position as well
1: <laughs> which is the opposite of. Brr. Yeah. Anyway, uh, when it comes to QE and QT, I have a couple of explainers on the macro compass if you want to go and check them out. Uh, trades of the that we have recently on bonds, Andreas, are short, the shots. So it's basically the German short-term German government bond. There is a future underlying, uh, can be a proxy by shorting bonds. But in any case, short European government bonds, especially front-end from Nick, which is making a lot of money right now as markets are trying to chase and understand what is the hiking cycle the ECB can actually implement. And then we have a long um, EDV, ETF from Darius Dale. That's basically the brother of the TLT, the famous long-term bond ETF in the US. Um, My take on the two trades is that the short shot is just, again, it's a release valve for markets to try and chase what is really the ECB stance. And as long as they don't tell us what is neutral rate, what is the path ahead, then obviously markets will try to make up their own mind and chase the repricing higher, Mm. attach a higher risk premium to this front-end repricing. While the TLT trade is basically a demand destruction trade. It's the moment when bond market turn and start assigning a higher probability of a recession that will effectively force the Fed end. And right now we, we are getting more signals from that perspective but not enough signals yet uh, to make tlt rally that's my take
2: yeah uh
0: and i think by the end of the day um and it's a very strong pattern if you look back over the three four decades that we have uh, passed us um you essentially need to get to the point where the federal reserve is very close to ending the hiking cycle before you can buy that etf um, i'd say maybe two three months prior to the actual pivot or the actual pause, you can buy it. Um, It's premature. Even I have to admit that, being called the long (laughs) bond guy. (laughs) The long bond guy telling you, you need to be patient
1: a bit. Finally, we had Dario Perkins, who recently came out with a short S&P trade, which is now, as we speak, uh, in the money, uh, compared to when he came to the show. Um, His target is 20% lower, so we're talking about, I think it was uh, well, twenty percent lower from something like four thousand. We should refresh the um, the levels again. Um, I do agree. I have that trade on on my book too. Um, short SP is a trade I just want to own here. Uh, to me, the credit market and the equity markets are the most exposed markets out there. The best risk reward. Earnings are priced to grow 10% in nominal terms this year and more, um, with the profit margin squeeze we are starting to see from the retailers, which I think is to a certain extent will also expand to uh, the services providers and not only to the goods providers in the U.S. and in all over the world. You have to see the E of PE repriced down a bit from here, yes. and on top of it, valuations have not nearly repriced to allow for broader and higher risk premia, which should be part of the cycle we are in right now. Risk premia compress when the cycle is positive. We are all but in a positive part of the cycle. Risk premia should widen. Given where real interest rates are, if you want risk premia to widen, valuations have to reprice down too. So E down and the PE down too makes me want to just own shorts on on the equity front.
0: I perfectly agree with that trade. Uh, I think that's all for this week, Alfonso. Um, we ended on a very sad note, um, but uh, (laughs) we still want to, to, to wish you a a very great week ahead. It will be an exciting one. We have the federal reserve on stage or rather Jay Powell on stage with the reverse money printer in his hand. Um, And that should be interesting on Wednesday. And we promise you to be back next week also with an assessment of whether to add to a gold position, given the stance that the federal reserve will present for us on, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Thank you so much for the support out there, guys. Uh, we still encourage you to, um, to rate our podcast um, on various podcast apps. It helps us grow and it helps us provide the free macro content for you each and every Sunday. Thank you, guys.